Warning, the opinions expressed on this particular podcast are the opinions of the hosts and the guests alone. They do not represent the army, the police, or anything else. Simply our opinions, no one else's. Thank you and enjoy before I forget. Hey everybody, Kevin here. Um, This will be my first solo episode. Uh, This little thing that Tyree and I are doing, they're bonus episodes or additional episodes that are released on Thursdays. And um, so mine will be kind of covering just random things here and there. Um, Most of Tyree's, I believe, will will cover um, things from his career as a law enforcement officer. Um, which is really good. It's really awesome that he's putting those stories out there. Um, my post-active duty life has been primarily still in the military. I was in the reserves. Um, you know, I spent a year in the inactive ready reserve and then came into the army reserves to be a drill sergeant, which is what I currently do now. Um, and I'm sure listening to some of the episodes or listen to any of the episodes that we have, you'll hear tons of stories about that stuff. So I think I'm going to take this time to talk about other things that um, I can go more into detail on. And uh, and yeah. So today I want to really talk about um, something that we all do, whether it's learned or not. And uh, it's called compartmentalization. Um, <clears throat> as far as psychology is concerned, you know, it's a defense mechanism in which your thoughts and feelings that seem to conflict are kept separate. And um, which is what that is. To compartmentalize means to just place things, you know, in different uh, containers or categories to separate them. Why is this important to me? Why do I want to talk about this, especially on this podcast? A lot of the things that we're talking about are combat-related or um, a type of harassment, um, or in Tyree's case, with law enforcement, you know. So it's a lot of these, uh, we'll call them high-stress situations. And so in these high-stress situations, we find ourselves... Um, trying to process the data before us in a way that is healthy and makes sense. So as it relates to combat, for example, sometimes we find ourselves in positions um, that we wouldn't normally find ourselves in. So for example, you know, taking another life. That's something that uh, as human beings, we're not it's just, it's not natural. Actually, for, for most beings, it's not natural to kill your own kind, you know. Um, goats will, will, will fight over territory. Rams will fight over territory, butt heads, until one of them gives up, until one of them concedes, you know. An alpha is named. Lions will do the same thing over their pride or even prey. And even 
aquatic life, marine life, you know, they do the same thing as well. If one should die, that's generally pure, uh, purely accidental. So as it relates to humans, um, it's it's not natural for us to be able to kill our own kind. Like we are naturally incapable. Um, so if you know you think about murderers and serial killers and people of the like, they are able to do those things because they're sociopaths, and that's one of the it's one of the one of the tenets for them, one of the staples, I guess, of being a sociopath. But anyway. They're able to, to, to separate the things, and, and, and in a way, um, they're able to compartmentalize what's actually happening into different things in their mind, and they can justify it. So for your normal human being, for your, your normal average person who is not a sociopath, how do we get to this point? How do we train our soldiers to, and Marines and, and other forces to go overseas and kill the enemy. Um, well, that all started way back in World War One. Actually, there was a study done, World War One, World War Two time frame, by General uh, General S. L. A. Marshall, who who decided to look into why soldiers on the battlefield uh, were not killing the enemy. Um, there's 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 quite a bit of studies about it, but you can and you can look into it yourself, but. Basically, what he had found is that they just weren't trained to, right? So target practice back then was shooting at a bullseye. That's exactly what it was. It was target practice. You know, that's what's what marksmanship was. You shot at a bullseye, and the closer you were to center, the better you were. But that's, shooting, that's teaching somebody to shoot accurately, which is great if you're shooting at targets in combat. But we're not shooting at bullseyes. We're not fighting bullseyes. We're fighting people. So one of the many changes, um, probably the most significant one, is we switched from a bullseye to a human silhouette. At a distance, you can't see a person's face. You can't make out their facial figures, uh, uh, features, generally speaking. And so it was through this process that they were able to increase the, um, the fire rates amongst the enemy or on the enemy from about 5% around World War One, World War II to like 95% in Vietnam. Um, and even today, so when we, when we go to ranges in the military, we shoot at silhouettes that look like people. It's just a body, shoulders, and a head. No true features other than it's just shaped like a person. And in our brains, it teaches us that this is what we're shooting at. It's, it's a form of desensitization, and it's kind of a form of compartmentalization, right? We're separating, uh, we're, I mean, I mean, we're kind of combining the target with a human, and in a way, separating the human from the target. Does that make sense? So, when you think about other jobs, though, I mean, that's, that's as it relates to the military, right? And, and maybe even law enforcement, they might shoot at those similar targets or, you know, whatever they have. But, um, but how does this relate to other people? So, in the military, right, like, we are trained to go to combat and kill the bad guys, and that's that, right? 
And in those scenarios, we can do this because we've been trained to shoot at humans. And it's after the fact when we start to struggle with, oh man, I just took a life. So when you, when you compartmentalize, you, you separate the, the act from, from the act it's of itself, right? So you're, you're, you're basically separating what it means to kill and doing your job, right? So you're taking that and you're putting it into this box and you're saying, well, that's the job. That's what I was trained to do. Later on in life, there's problems with that. So when you look at other jobs and you got to think to yourself, what kinds of jobs, what kinds of, what kinds of jobs out there would require a level of compartmentalization? Well, law enforcement, obviously military for sure. Um, people in the medical field, nurses, doctors, um, people of that nature, EMTs and paramedics, right? Because of the type of work that they do. Um, and uh, even people doing server type jobs. And you might think to yourself, well, how does a server at a restaurant, how does, how does, how does a server compartmentalize? And it's, it's, it's the way it makes sense in my head is when you look at what they do in a shift, right? They have a table. That table is very rude to them, probably very demeaning, degrading. Maybe that's a bad tip. Maybe that server before they came to work had a bad day. Maybe their boyfriend or girlfriend, husband or wife or whatever, broke up with them. They caught them cheating. They still had to go to work to pay the bills. Maybe their kid is sick. Maybe they have all these stresses going on. Their cars broke down. They're trying to, you know, hustle to make the money to, you know, fix the make the repairs. And so. When they come to your table, they're having to put on this happy face and give you the best possible service that they can give you. Well, the way they're able to do that is because they're able to compartmentalize the bad that has happened during that day or that week. We all do this, right? A teacher has to do the same thing. You know, you can't go to school and take your personal life um, with you and take it out in the class. You know, if you work in customer service and you answer phones or whatever the case may be, you can't take your personal life and take it to work with you. When you listen to Tyree's uh, episode, uh, Police Files, A Kid in a Stroller, one thing you have to remember there is when, when law enforcement officers come into situations like that, and it happens more frequently than you think, Generally, they're right back on the road that day, you know, right after that. And so there you are speeding through traffic, not using your blinker and you got a taillight out and this cop pulls you over and you're just furious because you're late to your friend's little shindig where you're going to, you know, have some mimosas or whatever the case is. And you're mad because you're going to be late. But you're totally not realizing what that officer may have just been through before you got there, before they pulled you over. And I think we as a people, we as a society, at least here in America, 
we forget that sometimes because we get so caught up in our own troubles, our own lives, our own world, our, you know, everything within our orbit. And we oftentimes forget that other people exist and that they have lives too and that they have experiences as well. So next time you're out to eat, you know, next time you get pulled over, even next time you talk to a soldier, keep that stuff in mind. When I came home from deployment and I left active duty, I got asked all the time, you know, hey, did you deploy? What was that like? And the one question that everybody wants to ask, did you kill anybody? And at first, you know, I was fine with answering that, you know, I was like, you know, yes, I did, because that was the job that I did. And more often than not, the follow-up question was, what was it like? Was it cool? Was it fun? And they were sincerely asking. They were genuinely asking. Like, they weren't asking to be assholes. They weren't asking to be anti-military. You know, they were asking because they've never met somebody who's taken somebody else's life. This was new for them. And so I, you know, kind of had to explore that with myself a little bit and, and think to myself, well, how do I feel about this? And for me, it was never really truly a problem because of how I was able to, one, compartmentalize during the event, and two, how I was able to understand the justification of the event, and then obviously three, uh, one thing that I haven't talked about, I'd say it's obvious because we all do it, um, guilt displacement. You know, basically saying that like, well, yes, I'm the one that pulled the trigger, but I was told to engage by whoever, or I was sent to Iraq to perform combat operations by someone. So the guilt, you know, the guilt is not mine. I'm displacing it on somebody else. And so my justification for doing what I did over there is because these people were trying to kill myself or my friends. And that's unfortunate that they placed themselves in that position, but I wasn't going to let them succeed. And so that's my justification for it. And that's how I am okay with it. It's fine. Um, You know, a lot of people uh, will kind of laugh at me when I say this, but I am a terrible hunter because I I have a problem with killing animals, right? For sport. Okay, for sport. I don't believe in sport hunting. I think it's bullshit, honestly, to be, to be fair. But um, just because, you know, you know if, if, if you're not harvesting the animal for, for, its, uh, for what it provides, then you're doing it wrong. But I just don't see the point in, you know, just killing animals all willy-nilly. Like, I get upset if I accidentally run over a rabbit in the road. I swerve for possums, um, and I help turtles off the road. I'm a, I'm a big animal lover. And so killing animals is kind of a big thing for me. You know, if I'm in the woods and I get attacked by um, a cougar uh, or, you know, a mountain lion of some type or whatever, I'm not going to get mad at the animal. If I'm in my neighborhood and I'm running down the street and I get attacked by my neighbor's dog, I'm not going to get mad at the dog. The dog is doing what it knows to do, what it thinks it can do. It's just acting. But people are different. 
people consciously make a decision to say, you know what, I am going to grab my weapon, I'm going to step out of this door, and I'm going to engage another person with this weapon. And at that point, when they make that decision, it's, that's it. They had to reason, uh, you know, had to, had to use reason and logic to come to their conclusion. And so, you know, that's it for you. So that's how I justified it. But years later, when you, you break down, you know, uh, the compartmentalization process, if you don't later on, if you don't unpack what has been compartmentalized, then that's where you start to run into troubles. So one thing that we've talked about, um, in previous episodes and one thing that's, you know, very, that I'm very passionate about is, um, you know, veteran suicides. Um, I, 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 I believe that the Department of Defense is not doing enough. I believe that the VA is not doing enough. Um, and I believe that it's up to us uh, as individual soldiers and uh, other, you know, other troops that served in the other branches. I believe it's up to us to watch out for each other because only, only we know what it is that we deal with. Deployed, not deployed, peacetime veteran, combat veteran. It's all the same when it comes down to transitioning into life and, and the struggles that happen there. So I say all that to say that, well, I'll get into that. So when you don't compartmentalize, or I'm sorry, when you don't unpack and you don't go through it, then all it does is it sits within inside you and it, and it, and it grows and, it, and you, you develop an anger and a fear because you're not sure what's going on. You will struggle and next thing you know, you will fight for your life. Um, and, uh, yeah, sorry. I'm a little distracted because it's just kind of a, it's, it really is a touchy subject for me. Um, basically what I'm saying is if you don't unpack what you have kept away, then it'll eat at you and eventually it'll eat all the way through you and that could be the end of things. So you have to learn how to process this stuff. So my stepmom was a nurse for uh, 20, 25 years. She worked, you know, in nursing homes. And then when she was in hospital, she primarily worked oncology, which is the floor where most people who have cancer go, go to, or all people who have cancer go to. And I would, t- I would listen to her tell stories about these people. And you could see that she would start to become emotional. And then, you know, she was able to kind of draw it back. And I kind of, just through listening and through observation, was kind of learning, you know, a similar thing. Telling these stories about these things, to, you know, these uh, events that we have compartmentalized, is a way for us to process this information. Um, the more you talk about it, the more you understand what it is that you've experienced and better ways to cope with it. So 
Sometimes you might find or remember a new detail of that event that you hadn't recalled before, and it might provide a little bit more justification for cause. And um, I found this out the really hard way. So when I came home, I, I had problems. I had PTSD really bad. And like I said, I didn't have any problems with killing folk, or so I thought. Later on, it was how I justified it, which made it all seem better to me. But like I felt guilty for leaving. Um, I had immense emotional problems. Um, when I was mad, I was furious. Um, when I was sad, I was um, out of control, like inconsolable. That's a word, I think. <laughs> um, I would just be bawling to the point where like it was, you just couldn't understand anything that I was saying. And I had to learn to communicate what was going on. Uh, my uncle, um, my uncle Clifford had gone to Vietnam in the 60s, late 60s. And after Iraq, he sat down and he talked to me and he said, you know, you can try and go to those meetings if you want to, uh, but all they're going to do is just make you sit down and talk about the stuff. And, like, and he, told, he told me that all that made me do is just relive it and made it worse. So I just stopped going. And I thought to myself, well, that's probably what I'll need to do then. I'll just not talk about it. Fortunately, I had friends that would try to pull it out of me, um, even though that I would be an emotional mess. Um, but one thing that really helped is when I came back in the army and I became a drill. Training soldiers during this, the, another surge in 2009, training soldiers to, to, to move into the army and to deploy, gave me an opportunity to really talk about the things that bothered me, to unpack the things that I had compartmentalized. Being able to talk to them and tell them the no bullshit truth of what combat is like of what to expect when they deploy. You know, at the time, the average deployment time of a soldier after completing basic training in AIT was 60 days, 63 days, two months. So two months, man. The only real combat training that they were gonna get was from their drill sergeants in basic training. And I took that personal. I said to myself that I need to give them every piece of knowledge that I have. Every experience needs to be out and I definitely felt it um, I had some struggles during that retelling some stories reliving some things talking about my friends that had passed and so on and to the point where in front of a, a, a class of soldiers I was explaining some stuff and I felt myself begin or begin to break down but it was good because, I mean, they, man, I, you really can't, like, I've had a lot of great soldiers that I've trained, but this, this, this particular group, I mean, they were right there with me. They understood what I was explaining, why I was explaining it, and they were understanding. And it was great. Those guys were amazing. Um, and so, in a way, it kind of became um, a form of therapy. And apparently it worked because I had... I had received messages from soldiers who had deployed shortly after basic training in AIT and said that, hey, drill sergeant, you know, the stuff that you had taught us, the stuff you had taught me, it really helped. And 
in, in, you know, in some cases, some of the stories, you know, it saved my life. Um, so that's really good to hear. But basically the point is we go through life and we experience events that can cause a high stress reaction, right? Elevated heart rate and, you know, all these other things, um, that you'll, that you, uh, you may experience, you know, slow motion or, or, uh, blacking out completely, uh, or hyper, um, hyper visuals are, um, uh, what's it called? Audio auditory exclusion to where like your ears, you don't hear very well, but like your vision is sharp. These are all actual things. Um, so we go through these event life and we experience these events um, and it can be anything from a car accident to spilling your coffee in your lap. It could really be anything. Um, these high stress events and we compartmentalize, we, we place them in, in different categories within our brains and we say, this is going in here, this is going in there. And then the really traumatic stuff gets placed into a box that is generally pushed back into the corner in the deepest, darkest parts of our mind and it gets locked and left. And it's when we lower our inhibitions through drinking or drug use of some type where, you know, that stuff can come out. Alcohol is a really good way to explode, (laughs) for lack of a better word right now. Um, that That was the problem that I had. I would drink too much, and the next thing you know, I was over the edge and um, I had to learn that lesson the hard way as well but being able to talk about this stuff being able to invite your friends and your family into this circle that you have and it takes trust and it takes effort but it's worth it but being able to do that is a step in the right direction towards healing and that's one of the things that we're hoping to do with this podcast is that we want we want people that are listening to understand that they're not alone. Um, they're not the only ones out there feeling the same thing. And that there are people that out there that do care. There are people out there that want to help. And that there are ways to help. You know, you can reach out to whoever it is you want to, but just talk about it. Um, that's, in my opinion, I think... The biggest thing that this podcast is, is, is uh, I'm hoping will do for people. One, I mean, it's great to tell our stories and it's great to get the stories of our buddies that we were deployed with. But if we can help one person step back from that ledge, then I would say that's, that's, a, that's a success. And that's what I'm hoping will come from this. So, I say all that to say, we all compartmentalize. We all do it. But when you do it, you need to be aware, and then later on, you need to unpack in a healthy way with somebody you trust. Once you do that, the healing process can begin, and you can become whole again. That circle, or I'm sorry, that hole that has been eating, that has been eaten through you, through your soul, through your inside, gets filled back in with the support 
and the love that you have from your community, from your friends and your family and whoever. So, yeah, that's all I have on that subject. So I guess thanks for listening to all 27 and a half minutes of this or however long it's going to end up being. I have no idea. And, um, and thanks for listening to the podcast. And again, like, um, yeah, really just can't thank y'all enough for, for listening and doing your part and we'll keep doing our part. So don't forget to, um, like, um, the Facebook page before I forget. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform you use. And please share our stories to your friends and your family. Please share them as much as possible. We don't mind. Go to the Facebook page. Share whatever post you want to share. Share all of them. Who cares? Right? Get the word out. Because all we want to do is help. If we can help one, amazing. If we can help a hundred, great. If we can help a thousand, If we can bring that number down from 22 a day, if we can get it down to 21 a day, that's a success. If we can get it down all the way to zero, man, that's, that's the goal because Lord knows, you know, the people that should be taking care of veterans really aren't. We have to. So thanks for listening. Y'all have a good one.